I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. They want benign indifference. They want us drugging. We could be pets. We could be food. But all we really are is livestock. There are, of course, those who do not want us to speak. The world needs a wake-up call. We're going to phone it in. Of the Great Deception Podcast. I'm your host, Matt. Thanks for joining me. Tonight, we have a deep dive into the world's fairs, mainly the architecture of the world's fairs uh, in the US. From uh, and I'm gonna include London because that's when it really kicked off. And it's basically from the time frame of 1851 until 1915. And we're going to look uh, probably at about eight or nine different fairs. And uh, I just want to show you what the pictures look like, what the narrative is, and want you to question and think about what really went on here. And what was the purpose of these fairs? Was it just to get a lot of people to travel to different places and see temporary buildings? Was it more of a indoctrination and education for people? Was it a great reset? Was it all the above? And uh, honestly, I think it is. And, and one of the things we have to look at and consider when we look at these world's fairs is not only the time that they were able to build these massive structures full of intricate detail, but we have to remember the time frame that it's coming from. We're talking about a time for the majority of these where horse and buggy was the main mode of transportation aside from the railroad. There weren't power tools. You know, these these massive structures. And, and the other thing you have to look at is look at the buildings. Some of these buildings that are have were supposedly built in two years and had just been there show some serious weathering that would only come with age. So there's these little clues that you see along the way that make you question the story that you're told. And in watching other documentaries on the World's Fairs and hearing some uh, <clears throat> input from construction engineers, people like that, that say this, you know, from their standpoint today, 
with unlimited manpower, it's not possible in the time frames that what they did back in the 1800s and early 1900s. So we're going to really look at this and uh, take a stab at it. And what I, again, I want to focus mainly on the buildings because we could get into, uh, I could do a show on each building and it could be a couple hours long. Um, but I kind of want to truncate it down and, and, and allow, show you and then let you go do your work and let you do some investigation on your own, do some reading, research. Um, so how we're going to go here is we are going to go with the... Okay. All right. So we're going to go... What is the definition of an exposition? Okay. An exposition is a text that presents one side of the issue. The purpose is to persuade the reader or listener presenting one side of an argument that is a case for or against. And that's kind of what we're showing here, right? They're showing one side of the story. And they're making a case for you. Um, but it also seems a little devious. So let's look at the other definition of exposition. It's a large exhibit, usually sponsored by a government or trade group, to showcase the products and services of a particular company, region, or country. And that's exactly what this is. This is a, a large exhibit. This is a show. Um, and, and really, when we start looking at it, what, what they're showing us is what there used to be. And also at the same time, presenting us with what we're going to get in the future. Um, many, much of the architecture and infrastructure was based on the old world. And then you look on the interior, which is the exhibits, and that's where you're going to start seeing a lot of the modern industrial age. And that's what this is. This is the great industrial age reset that took place late 1700s, early 1800s. And in 1851, it really kind of kicked off in London. And, and we'll talk about that here in a second. But just to give you a quick chronology of some of the fairs here in, in the US specifically, we had New York was, was the first in America, uh, Philadelphia, which we'll go over, uh, Louisville, I'm not going to cover that one. Um, New Orleans, I am going to cover that one, Cincinnati, uh, Chicago, which is the granddaddy of them all. If you go, uh, I, I've done a podcast and have a video on, on Spotify. I used to have it on YouTube. It got taken down um, on Odyssey and BitChute also. You can go check out that uh, presentation I did on the 1893 Chicago World's Fair, which is just a giant exercise in itself. San Francisco of 1894, I'm not going to cover that, or Atlanta of 95, 1897 Nashville, and 1898 in Omaha. We will be looking at those. We won't be looking at Charleston, but we will be looking at St. Louis. Uh, there was one in Portland, Oregon in 1905. There was one in Jamestown in 1907. Seattle hosted one in 1909. 
And then in 1915, there was one in San Diego as well as San Francisco, which we will look at the San Francisco one um, in this presentation here. So one of the things I want you to look at here, look at these buildings, just looking off the top. I mean, these are massive. It doesn't look like, I mean, this is the Parthenon here in Nashville. That doesn't look like Nashville, Tennessee. That looks like the Parthenon. Uh, you look at, at some of these other structures and they don't look like what we've been told America looked like in the 1800s. Uh, just just fascinating and, and amazing works. One of the things here, this this map right here is a map from Michelle Gibson. And what it is is she was drawing some ley lines on the map. And one of the you know interesting things is is that, and unfortunately it cuts off New York here, but you'll see New York is on it, Philadelphia. And I, I plotted them to see if they really fell on these ley lines, if there was some sort of energetic or, you know, some sort of uh, other purpose as to why they chose these sites. And, and for the most part there, you know, a San Francisco was a big one uh, that was directly on a line. Uh, Chicago is basically on a line. St. Louis is as well. Uh, Buffalo is, it could be. Um, and then New York is also. And uh, if you just look at some of the travel across the U S you'll see San Francisco, Omaha was a fair. You'll see Salt Lake City, which is where the Mormons are. And that's a whole nother rabbit hole to dig into. Look into the Mormons in the 1800s and the, some of the structures out there that they built. Uh, uh, fascinating. Then you come across and you get to Philly and New York. So it's just an interesting little uh, chart here to take a look at. Now, let's go to London of 1851. This is essentially where they kick off the last legs of the great reset this is this is where it's almost as if they show you what the old world had and then by the end of it they've taken it all away and destroyed it and what they'll do is they won't destroy all of it they'll usually leave you with one building one structure and uh so that you can see, still get a small glimpse of what once was. But the, the stories here are just uh, unbelievable. So let's look at the Crystal Palace here in London. Now, this building is massive. Okay, so we're talking about 18 acres. All right, and almost a million square feet, 990,000 square feet of exhibition space. Where they, you know, they were showing technology of what? The Industrial Revolution, okay? Uh, the Great Exhibition Building, it was 1,851 feet long with an interior height of 128 feet. It had 330, or 3,300 ironed columns, had over 10 million feet of glass and 600,000 cubic feet of timber. Okay, so we're talking about a massive structure. Um, and it was, you know, to represent the modern architecture that, you know, industry was going to bring in with the Industrial Revolution. Now, this thing is a monster. It's three times the size of St. Paul's Cathedral. That's, I mean, now, the story and narrative says 
it was constructed in just six to nine months. Okay, we're talking about 1851. 10 million feet of glass. How did they produce all of that in six to nine months, let alone produce all of that and get it in, transported and installed? Mind you, the glass came from another part of England. So it it had to be transported to the site. It wasn't like it was readily available on site. And, and the way this glass was made it had to be specifically designed i mean curved glass was was something that was relatively new at this time it was a new uh, technology so the story of six to nine months is just impossible it, it just doesn't make any sense so then the story gets even stranger as the palace was uh, then after the fair was taken down it was moved. It was rebuilt at Sydenham Hill, and it stayed there for a few years. <clears throat> they sold the palace, right? This beautiful for 70,000 pounds, which is big, about three and a half million dollars today. Uh, and on August 19, uh, 19 or 1852, they reconstructed it in Sydenham Hill. Now, although there were an abundance of, of workers because of the economy and high unemployment and everything, they did have no problem getting workers to do it. But again, we're talking about transporting all these materials, all this glass uh, and, and all this iron and, and having the skill to be able to install it. It's just, it's mind blowing. I mean, and then you look at the interior and you see the fountains and the statues and the vast size. I mean, they had trees inside. They built around some of these massive trees. So as you go through this, you start to question, okay? I mean, just look at the size of this compared to, I mean... You can't see any people in the picture right here walking around, but I mean, you're looking at two, two stories just packed with different exhibits. Um, now, the Crystal, or the, the London exhibition itself uh, was only about 26 acres. I mean, this building was basically the whole thing, but they got 6 million people to attend this fair, which is about a third of the population of London at the time. So, you know, you start to look and they're bringing in massive amounts of people. They're, they're showing them what they want them to see and moving them on their way. Now, we're going to get into the United States. And why did, why did I think the, the, the London was the kickoff? Well, you have the crown there. Right. That's one thing. And and, you know, the puppet leader of this era is is figurehead would be the queen. And so they were the first to kick off this, although there were fairs previously in in France. Um, but 1851 is seen as the official kickoff of of the World's Fair exposition. So we're going to move through. Now, what I want you to look at here 
is look at these different buildings, okay? Look at these different scenes. This is Chicago, Illinois in 1893. Look at Chicago today and look at Chicago in 1893. Have we progressed or regressed? St. Louis, Missouri, 1904. Look at this scene. Beautiful architecture. And they're all around basins, guys. That's the other thing you notice here. They're all centered around a basin, water source. Most of them have a large tower. You'll see in, in, in all of them, they have just, you know, beautiful architecture. And it, it looks of, you know, what we're told is the Roman style, the Greek style, the Gothic style, that old world style of architecture. Now, what we're told about these buildings is that they were all temporary by design. So they could be built at about half the cost. Now, they said because the cost was lower, it allowed them to build larger structures. Uh, now, the construction of, of, of hundreds of buildings at some of these expos that we're going to look at, um, they claim that it was out of this new, cheap, you know, pliable material called staff, which is like a stucco, a plaster almost. Okay, it allowed the designers to construct these like visual reproductions of, you know, the Greek, the Roman style of architecture and some of the temples or finest buildings they had over there. Um, So what they tell us is these buildings were constructed mainly with a wood frame and covered with staff. Okay, let's take a look at some of these buildings or different other structures. Now, you're telling me this basin here in St. Louis is built out of wood? It's wood and plaster? Look at the detail. I, I, I don't, it doesn't make sense, guys, that they would build all of this. You're telling me this, ca- this building here, the U.S. government building in uh, Omaha is built of wood? That arches wood. Okay. We'll dig deeper. We're looking at Nashville, Tennessee in 1897. Notice the pyramid. Okay. Now, I'm not saying that's an homage to the Illuminati. That may be the sign to the old world. Because there's lots of pyramids, lots of mounds in the United States. And to build a lot of these world fairs, there were massive demolitions of large mounds. San Francisco, they plowed right through some mounds. St. Louis, they did the same thing. I'm sure they did it in Chicago as well, in Jackson Park. But what you're going to see here is the destruction of the old to bring in the new. But looking at these, I mean... I'll be damned if that's St. Louis today. I mean, look at that. That looks like what we've, you know, been told in the stories is ancient Rome, right? 
Same thing over here in San Francisco. Look at the architecture. We're talking early 1900s. And this is the style we built in. And now we're building in this other, you know, it just doesn't look at the fountain. Beautiful fountain. Of course, guys, always water. Water is a great conductor. Remember that. As we go through all this, and we got to think of energy, right? What did they use for energy back then? The other thing you're going to notice, the arches, okay? Look at these massive arches. This is, you're telling me this right here is made of wood and plaster. Look at the, look at the wear or weathering on it. It just doesn't make any sense. If these were built in, in less than two years and put up, they're not going to weather like this. Look at the Parthenon here in Nashville. Okay. That's a new picture, obviously. But again, look at this old picture of the Grand Paris style in Chicago. Look at the statues. There's different shades to this stuff, guys. It's, there, there's wear on this. There's weathering on this. And it, you're not going to get that weathering on wood. These are stone structures. Now, we get into the New York Exhibition of 1853, and, and those of you that have listened to this before basically have heard this part of it, because this is the New York Crystal Palace, okay? When New York uh, had the, uh, the first American World's Fair, they called it the Exhibition of, of the Industry of All Nations, okay? So this was bringing all the nations in together around industry, and New York was going to be where they kicked it off. Well, that makes sense. If they started it in London, they came over here, York, New York, right? We're, we're going to that English tie again, that queen. So we look, and the interesting thing about this fair is it's, it was in Bryant Park. I mean, again, this wasn't a massive, this was a very small, only four acre fair. But it drew 1.15 million people. It was open for about four months. Now, here's the thing. Although the London Fair made significant profit and was able to use some of that profit to build a museum and some other buildings after the destruction, or after the end of the fair, New York was the first of multiple fairs to lose money. Now, that's an interesting point, because if you think about this, businessmen, right? These are being these are being funded by businessmen, a little bit of government help, local government help, or federal government help, and sometimes local as well. But for the most part, these are funded privately by donations. People are looking, investing into this. Now, these bigwigs are not they didn't become rich by making bad investments. So one of the things that you see over and over again is if they're losing money, what are they gaining? Because they're not doing this out of the goodness of their heart to lose millions of dollars, especially back then. Some of these fairs lost millions of dollars. So what's the purpose? 
there has to be something else. If they're not worried, if money is no object in these. And again, if we're looking at some of these fairs losing money, and then you're going to destroy all the infrastructure that you built and then rebuild right over it. I mean, that just doesn't make any sense. Think about that. Really think about that. You're going to lose money on the fair. Then you're going to destroy everything that you built, scrap it all, and then you're going to go ahead and build on top of it. (laughs) That just sounds insane to me. Unless those buildings needed to be removed. They needed to be eliminated. They needed to be covered up. So as we go into New York, okay, obviously the New York design was based off of or in honor of the one from London. Uh, This one was large, okay? It was one of the bigger structures uh, from an exhibition standpoint. It was the biggest one in the world or at the time or in the country at the time, sorry. And it was about 173, 175,000 square feet. So we're talking about a big big area it was about a thousand square feet by 500 square feet so we're talking a big area and it was it was it was in the shape of a greek cross and look at the dome on top here that dome is a hundred feet in diameter so we're talking about a massive dome on that structure uh All the construction was used was iron and glass, and then they did use wood flooring, wood planks for the flooring. Okay, now, much like London, they claim that this was built in seven months. Seven months, 173,000 square feet of exhibition space using iron and glass with horses and buggies. Think about that. Does that make sense? Okay. You had two dozen cast iron columns support each dome. Okay. Or no, two dozen supported the dome. And they were each 62 feet high. Okay. We're not talking about small things. The, the, the structure had, uh, the dome had 32 stained glass windows around the side. Now, what they did uh, to try and prevent it from, you know, acting as like a giant magnifying glass was that they uh, put a powder on these 10,000 panes of glass that were used to construct the, the palace. And when they did that, uh, it, they brushed on this enamel and, and they would then sand it off and the glass would be not as you know entirely see-through um but it would also filter out some of the heat it wouldn't get as hot inside so then let's go on to the next one look at the interior it's a beautiful beautiful structure you look at all the iron on the inside, you can start to see a little bit of the uh, of the dome there. And in the picture on the right, you can see the entire, you know, the, how the dome looked. 
and just the st- size of the statues inside the the amount of of exhibits that would have been inside of these now here's an interesting quote from the 1853 new york fair there will be gathered here the choicest products of the luxury of the old world and the most cunning devices of the ingenuity of the new they're telling you right there guys they're going to show you all of the beautiful items from the old world and then the most cunning devices of ingenuity cunning's an interesting word interesting choice of words cunning devices of ingenuity of the new so real interesting there now the other uh structure that that drew attention at the new york expo was the latting observatory this was a 315 foot wood tower um and from this you could see into queens staten island and new jersey it was just a massive structure it was actually the tallest structure in new york city at the time um and then guess what happened to it here's a repeating pattern we're going to see it over and over again what happened to the crystal palace it burnt down what is going to happen to the new york crystal palace it catches fire and burns down october 5th 1858 palace caught fire and burnt down and you just have people you know standing around watching it almost spectating it like it was an event like it was something that was meant to be seen you got to ask yourself how does a crystal a glass and iron structure building burn down yeah there was wood inside yep but very interesting thing and one of the things they said about the fires in the crystal palace that they were so hot that the glass melted and flowed like a river so think about that image that's that's powerful right there so the same thing happened to the Latting Observatory that burnt down um, earlier in 1856. So what you're going to see is a lot of these buildings and fairs and all that stuff end up burning down. So now we move to Philadelphia in 1876. The Centennial Exhibition of Arts, Manufacturers, and Products of the Soil and Mine look at this building here from philadelphia in 1876 i don't remember ever hearing about any buildings like this in philadelphia in at least in the 18 late 1800s of independence hall you know look at the size of this behemoth all right Then we're going to hear what we have is the grounds of the fair. And what you'll see is these two massively long buildings. Okay. Um, that's one of them is the main building and one of them's agricultural hall. And these, these buildings were just monsters. Um, and, and look at the layout. You see a lot of red brick 
right? What appears to be red brick buildings scattered about. And then what's interesting too, is if you look in the background, you see a lot of steeples back here, a lot of points. And then one, one building that really rises up out over here. But very interesting portrait there for sure. So now this is the main building. Guys, if you're not watching this, I recommend you do because uh, these buildings are unbelievable. So the main building, again, was a temporary structure, according to the narrative. And it was the largest building in the world. Okay, it, it was 21 and a half acres. Uh, it was 460 feet by uh, 1,880 feet. So, I mean, we're talking football fields. Multiple would fit inside. And supposedly it was, it was constructed using all prefabricated parts, and it had a wood and iron frame. But they put it on a substructure, supposedly, of 672 pillars piers, you know, posts that were holding it up. And then they used wrought iron and uh, to support the roof. But it just, I mean, you're telling me that this enormous structure is, is sitting on piers. It doesn't have a foundation. Find that hard to believe with all the amount of people that you're having come in here. Now, if we're looking at Philly, Philly was a much larger fair because they they that fair covered 285 acres. Now it wasn't all buildings, but they had close to 200 buildings at the fair. And they got an attendance of close to 10 million people. I mean, this was a big fair, guys. There's 37 different countries there. Um, with buildings and 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 exhibits at the fair, um, it, it's funny because this one again it lost money. But what one of the quotes that I saw is that although the fair was not financially successful for investors, the Centennial Exposition impressed foreigners with the industrial and commercial growth of the country. So I think, again, you're seeing, what are they trying? They're trying to show you a narrative here. They're trying to portray, tell you a story and get you to forget, to erase what happened in the past or what existed in the past. All right, so we're going to move on to the Agricultural Hall, another beautiful, massive structure. This one was 820 feet by 540 feet. So it gives you an idea of, of how big it is. It was made with wood and glass. And it was designed to look like a bunch of barns that were connected. Now, <laughs> I just, you look at this and, you, you know, the things that raise my eyes right away are all the beautiful intricate columns with the giant one in the middle. And then each building has two at, at each entrance. And uh, there's just 
you know, something beautiful about this. And I, I have a hard time believing, okay, so that all of these buildings for this World Fair were built in less than two years, according to the narrative. We'll use the word allegedly. Now we're going to look at Horticultural Hall, which is another interesting building because it had an iron and glass frame. If you look at it, you're going to see a lot of beautiful windows. Um, again, you, the, the, the arches, a, a repeating pattern is the use of the arch. Um, this one had more of a, of a Moorish vibe to it, if you look at it. And uh, it, it's a really interesting piece and what they said this is their version of the crystal palace their interpretation of the crystal palace now i don't think it resembles the crystal palace as much and it's not as intricate but i mean it is a big building but the the interesting thing with it is that it had a brick and marble foundation now we're talking about the um the main building, which is a massive structure, is sitting on piers. Yet this one has a deep, deep marble and brick foundation. I mean, it's just, it's interesting. They're all over the place with what they're telling us here on these buildings. Now we look at Machinery Hall. This is another massive uh building i mean you look at it it's it's uh 1400 square feet or feet long and then 350 360 wide and then it has wings off the sides also so you look at it i mean the building is just it's like a giant field house it's massive and it it occupied, uh, I think it was over 550,000 square feet, something like that. I mean, it's just a, a ridiculous. And then it it uh, it had, I think this is the one that had almost 2,000 exhibits in it. Okay, so just to give you an idea. So think about 2,000 exhibits. These visitors are not going to see all of these exhibits in one day. Because this is just one building. One building out of many that are housing different exhibits. So, you know, to get the whole gist of a world's fair, and especially, you know, you go to say, look at St. Louis or Chicago, you have to go there for multiple days. Otherwise, you're going to get bits and pieces of it and, and end up confusing yourself, I think, more than really understanding what's taking place. So then we look at Memorial Hall, which is one of the few structures that survived. This is one that was constructed, uh, supposedly a permanent structure of brick, glass, and iron. All right. And it also used granite. So we talk about uh, some of the other buildings at the other fairs that were made of granite also. And uh, this is just another, I mean, it's a spectacular building. It was... Uh, it's on an acre and a half of land, and it has a 150-foot dome on the top of it, um, which is, I mean, you look at this picture here, guys, and this is just a just quite a structure. Um, 
I, I don't really know where you want to take this because these, you know, you look at the old building of it. I mean, we're talking again, 1876. And you look at the picture and I mean, this is a new picture and the building looks as good as it did back then. Uh, I mean, it's, it's just a remarkable, remarkable piece of architecture. So, I mean, we, we look at Philadelphia, okay, that lost money. We look at New York, that lost money. Then we get to New Orleans. And New Orleans is an interesting one. And, and New Orleans is uh, one of the reasons why it took me so long to get this one out. Uh, I, I had all the research done the same time I put the Chicago one back in November out. But I was trying to find more on this New Orleans exhibition because we know that Louisiana was home capital of the Moors at some time, the Chickata. Um, and it was, you know, Monroe, Louisiana was the capital supposedly of theirs. So New Orleans is right around there. And there's always been this, I always get this vibe from New Orleans, you know, you, you hear Louisiana purchase, um, New Orleans itself, uh, you think about New Orleans in the Battle of 1812. And uh, it's it's one of those where New Orleans is an interesting city. So in 1884, they hosted the, the International Cotton Centennial Exposition. And this was to honor 100 years in America. Okay, so it said, a quote from the Visitor's Guide is, one of the most important features will be the exposition of colored people in the South. This is the first public opportunity that has been given to them to show the progress they have, uh, they have made for themselves since their liberation from slavery. So, the, I mean, that's has some very, very racist overtones to undertones to it, but they want, again, they're trying to tell you a story. They're trying to, um, you know, present a narrative to you because if you look at new orleans and, and when i was digging into this i found it fascinating that they said new orleans was founded again you found the word founded and we know what that means right you got to put your word magic hat on found dead found empty found not alive not vibrant it was founded by the french in 1718 okay and then it was they formed a colony in 1769 but they gave the uh, colony to the Spanish crown in 1801. Um, then it became subject to the French rule in 1803. Uh, no, in 1803, that's when Napoleon, uh, sorry, Napoleon sold Louisiana in 1803 to the United States for $15 million. Okay. So... I mean, and, and New Orleans, we're not talking about a massive population here. I mean, we're looking at London and, and they had a much bigger, it's a much bigger city. New Orleans is a relatively small city, you know, 250,000 people at the time of the fair. 
So we're not talking about a a massive uh, city, but they're you know they were needed to celebrate, right? Or they needed to do something, and we're going to find out what did they need to do at the time. So we look at. Although it was smaller, it was the 10th biggest city in America at the time. So it was due. Now, the interesting thing about the World Fair is they were given the World's Fair, okay? And then the Louisiana State Treasurer, Mr. Edwin or Edward A. Burke, he happened to disappear overseas stealing over $1.7 million from the fair before it even started. (laughs) So this guy put this fair in a hole right away, and it was doomed from the start. But despite that, they pushed on. They did their best with what they had, okay? Now, this wasn't a huge fair. I mean, acre-wise, it was big. It was, you know, 250 acres, but the, the buildings only took up about 50 acres. Um, and it was mainly, you know, probably about a dozen buildings. Um, I would say under 20 in total was the, the real buildings for this. Um, but when you look at it, they had the ability to get people there by rail, by steamboat, and by ship. So there were many options for pe- to get people to the fair. Now, how many people came? They only got about a third of what they expected. They expected around, uh, they, actually a little less, a quarter. They expected around 4 million visitors. They got a little over 1, 1.1. Okay, so this fair was doomed to lose money, as you can hear over and over. There were just things that just didn't, make money now from an architecture standpoint they had some beautiful buildings and the main building is probably the the biggest spectacle i mean it it took up 33 acres interesting choice 33 um and it was the largest roofed structure at the time in the country it had 5,000 electric lights okay so you got to understand at the time, New Orleans itself was said to only have about 500 lights. So this had about 10 times the amount of lights in this building than the city of New Orleans at the time. Um, it, it also had a music hall in it, a 10,000-seat music hall. And it had um, one of the largest organs at the time in it as well. So let's take a look at the building. Okay, so there's the main building. You'll see it is a massive structure, but it's right on the waterway. So you can pull, they can pull the steamboats right in, get people in and out. They had railroad access. And then they also had the ocean access. Now we look, here's the buildings. So you'll see the government building was um, a, a large structure horticultural hall again the art gallery and the oddly enough the mexican building was one of the bigger spectacles at this fair and i found that connection to be interesting um but then you look at the main building and it just dwarfs all the rest of them 
Um, so we'll look now. Here's here's something I found from uh, the guidebook from 1884. And what it shows is how long it took to build these buildings, okay? Or, or when the buildings opened and when they closed. Yeah. No. Sorry, these are the uh, <laughs> the construction times. So they're saying the main building was constructed in about six months at about a million dollars. Government building, there's no way that's two months. This just doesn't make any sense. Uh, we're going to move on from that. But yeah, because those dates, those building dates completed and commenced don't make any sense. I think that's when they opened and closed, but we'll see. Now, here's an interesting little dichotomy. So we're looking at, again, horses, farmers, horse and buggy, but yet look at this architecture in the background, okay? And having built these in such a short amount of time, you have to understand the era that we're in. This is not the era that we're in today, okay? Very different time back then. And the, you know, like I said, the dichotomy is very, very mind-blowing. And we'll look at some pictures here as we go forward of, of these fairs where there's, you know, beautiful architecture and then there's rubble that people are walking on. There's no paved roads or anything. Like you think they would invest in the whole fair, but I mean, it almost seems like a lot of these were rushed for a purpose, so now, again, you look at the main building. It is just a massive structure. It, uh, you know, we we've talked about how about how large it is, and it had just um, <coughs> excuse me exhibits throughout. I mean, look at the size and the scope. And and one of the other things you have to consider is not only the buildings, but look at the landscaping. I mean, some of these fairs, the landscaping is absolutely intricate. And to have both the landscaping and the buildings built. And the other thing you have to realize is most of these, not this one, obviously, because this is New Orleans, but most of these are built in climates with winters. I mean, Chicago, they had to build through a harsh winter. You think about New York. You think about uh, Philadelphia. These are all places, Buffalo, where you're going to have harsh, harsh winters. And supposedly they just built on through, no power tools or anything. We just build right through. We're good. Don't worry about it. Now, here's the organ that I was referencing here in the music hall. So we look, and this is at the opening ceremony here, but look in the background here at this beautiful instrument back here. I mean, it's just, it's massive. And then you, you see the intricate, ornate detail up top. I'm sure that's all wood hand-carved. Um, you know, and you see the, the structure. It's just uh, very impressive. Here's a better look at the, uh, there's the organ up top. And then over on the right-hand side is uh, the opening ceremony. And you'll see there were a lot of people that came out. To view the fair. The United States, okay, uh, building, and it was big. It was just for United, it was for our state's exhibits. 
it was about 565 feet by 885 feet. So you were talking about a big building, All right? You get the horticultural hall, which was about 600 feet by 200 feet. And uh, it had an observation tower with electric elevators in it. And uh, it also within it had examples of working electric streetcars which is very interesting for 1884 when most people are traveling around on horseback. Uh, This is the Memorial building or the art gallery. Again, look at the architecture and the size. I mean, if this is, if this is drawn to scale, I mean, the people are specks in this picture compared to this building. And this is only like, uh, uh, yeah, it's 365 by 210. I mean, it's not a, a tremendously massive building, but at the same time, it's one that, you know, it housed some of the finest art of the old world. So we know that this building was built of brick for insurance purposes. Anything that housed any of the old art from, especially from other countries, had to be insured. And the only way they were insurable was if they were built of stone. Now, here's an interesting one. I know I mentioned the uh, the Mexican building, okay? It was extremely lavish, and, and people loved going to this exhibit for some reason. I mean, they just, they did it up. They spent $200,000 at the time on this, which was quite an undertaking. And it had, you know, they always had a brass band playing at this thing. So what they had in here, though, were, um, you know, large glass cases uh, that would show off the minerals from Mexico. And uh, it was just a it was quite the exhibit. But I just found it interesting that all the countries that New Orleans was really celebrating, it was Mexico. And uh, but here, here's a look at the inside of the main building. Okay. Here's a view from the ex, uh, you know, and kind of an overview of the expo. Now, also in New Orleans at the time, you had Jackson Square. Okay, this is and this is an, a very interesting structure in itself as well, because you look at it and it looks like Cinderella's castle. Who built this? Again, this is 1885. This is a massive complex here has the the giant building with the spires and the and the tower but then it also has a couple buildings around it that are huge in size and stature so it makes you question and of course the the statue there is andrew jackson um for his work in 1812 of saving new orleans from the british a, a couple other structures i found when i was researching this around that time is uh the saint charles hotel a massive red brick hotel from 1885. And also right next to it is the old city hall, Gallier Hall from 1853. I mean, if that isn't straight out of, you know, Rome or Greece right there. And look again, look at the size of that. And if we're looking at um, comparing, you know, this, this stature of these buildings, think about how many people there would have been in Philadelphia in 1853 to need all of these buildings it just doesn't make any sense 
there wasn't the population to support it. And that's what you're going to start seeing over and over again, too, is that these there's not the population to support the demand for it. And if you're going to build these, why destroy them? Right. And that's what we're going to start getting into now. I mean, everything at the uh, New Orleans Fair was destroyed except for the horticultural building, which uh, was then burnt in again in a fire in 1917. So you start looking at these fairs and it's just about, you know, they always end in destruction, whether it's by fire or demolition. And you have to ask yourself, why? Why not keep these structures? They're not, I understand they said they were made of temporary materials, but you look at some of them that were made of temporary materials that were kept after the fair and they were fine. And when people say, oh, it's just staff or stucco, a lot of buildings back then, and even some today are built with wood and stucco and they're meant to last. They're not meant as, you know, a pop-up tent it's uh so that that narrative really runs into some issues and i mean you look at it in chicago and and we'll we'll actually here let's let me see if i can can we get to chicago here yes okay so we bounce over to chicago real quick and one of the things you're going to see is these are some of the Features from Chicago. This is the peristyle. Does this temper look temporary and look like it was could be made of wood and plaster? I mean, look at this. It just doesn't make any sense. And what they did here was they coined the term whitewashing, where they would paint over the buildings to make them look uniform and new. What is whitewashing? It's to cover up, right? I mean, there's there's double meanings to a lot of these words, guys, and you have to pay attention to the words they use. They don't say these buildings were built. They say they were founded, right? Big difference. How come there's no construction photos of these uh, these structures? You know, if you think if these are such great undertakings and you're able to pull this off in two years. How come there's not, and, and people are paying to come watch the construction, supposedly. They said that the people would come and sit and watch the construction all day, but nobody took pictures. There's no good construction photos of any of this. That's where you start to see the narrative have some cracks in it. And I mean, it's, I mean, look at Chicago. This is just mind-blowing. This is Chicago in 1893. I mean, it looks like a Roman city, an old European city. So I just, uh, I, I really, really have a tough time with uh, the whole narrative here on that, because that's one of the things that really doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Okay. And, and, and I've, I've illustrated a couple of those points already and I'll keep hammering on them over and over because they're points I think you need to really think about. So we move on to Nashville in 1897, Nashville with the nickname, the Athens of the South. 
Hmm. Athens, Greece. Interesting. So it was the Tennessee Centennial Exposition, marking 100 years of Tennessee. And it was a large fair. I mean, they had 200, uh, 200 acres they used. There was little under 100 buildings, you know, 90-ish or so buildings. And they got 1.7, 1.8 million visitors. So for Nashville, it was okay. Now they, they broke even at this fair they didn't make anything they didn't really lose anything so the net of it is zero again as a business person are you going to keep investing in these fairs if they're not going to return on your investment if this is a financial deal or is it for something else so we look at Nashville, the Athens of the South, and you'll notice here on the left a structure that resembles the Parthenon. It is a scale model of the Parthenon, supposedly temporary. Supposedly. So it opened in, in May of 1897, and it used Nashville Centennial Park. Um, and it really did well in the six months that it was open. I mean, they had people from all over the nation, all over the world that came. Um, and it was it was one of those things that, that seemed to be more of like had the carnival feel. The other ones were really dry. This one seemed to have more of a, a livelier feel to it. Um, and so you look at this, and this is quite an extraordinary layout. But what you see when you look at this is some beautiful architecture. And to say that this was all built, all of this, guys, in less than two years, 1897 in Tennessee. And they even throw us a little bone back here, a little, uh, what do they call those, Easter eggs? You get a little hot air balloon, airship action. They finally let you see something in the sky. But, I mean, you look, look at the vast campus that it encompasses, and then look at the amount of buildings. I mean, there was almost 100 buildings built for this fair alone. I mean, I still can't get over this. This is a full-sized replica of the Parthenon built in Nashville, Tennessee. And, you know, one of the things that we talk about here. Uh, in this community and one of the items that's come up a lot is is the whole idea of the mud flood well you kind of look at this and this is built on top of a little hill is there something under is there something more to this structure underneath because it kind of looks like that there's there was a flow that kind of just settled next to the parthenon but that's for a whole nother show. But just to give you guys an understanding, I mean, look at this. There's two people over here. And look at the size of them compared to the size of the structure. I mean, they're massive. All of those columns around the outside. I mean, it had 58 columns, 58 of those. And inside it, it housed all the art for the fair. It had about a million dollars worth of art in there. It had like, 1200 sculptures or something like that and the paintings and all that stuff 
Um, and it was obviously one of the more popular exhibits at the fair. I, it's not hard to see why. I would definitely be drawn to this. It is a, I mean, look at the d- detail up here on the facade. I mean, all around, is it's just exquisite. It's temporary. They built it out of wood and plaster. And here's what they're showing you when they reconstructed it. Um, supposedly in the 1920s, they turned it from a temporary structure into a permanent structure for about a million dollars. Um, you know, the, the Parthenon in Greece was made of, of marble um nashville's is is made of brick stone and concrete um from what the story says so you have to kind of take it uh at at face value so now you look at this the memphis shelby company building one of the my the most interesting buildings at the world's fairs it's a pyramid it's supposed to be modeled after the Great Pyramid of Cheops in um, Memphis, Egypt. So ne- Memphis, Tennessee, Nashville, they're trying to blend the two. And some say that Memphis, Tennessee has a lot deeper roots, a lot more historical significance, um, you know, old world wise than we're led to believe. And obviously... Of course, in old world or uh, world fair fashion, everything was illuminated. Okay, at a time when illumination wasn't, you know, huge. Now we look at the Commerce Building. This is one that really interests me because it's so big. It's it's like six hundred feet by two hundred fifty feet, um, but it had all the the exhibits from the local buildings. But if you look up here up top, I just I'm always fascinated by these towers when they have the columns and then a layer and then another tower with the columns and it just looks like some sort of resonating device you know it just the the building has a feel to it the architecture has a point to it it's not just all these you know 90 degree angles there's there's art beauty there's flow to it and that's what that's one of the things that fascinates me about these we look at the agricultural building another massive building and you know you look at it and again it nashville tennessee and the 1800s doesn't really seem to fit the narrative and then you get some other examples of buildings at the fair the illinois building was quite interesting again it's built on a little raised platform possibly a flow that landed around the original building you notice on the illinois building there's just a little dirt road that encircles it i mean there's no paved road it's really uh it's kind of like it just was dropped in there and then the children's building resembles an old mansion Uh, i mean i could see this being a a leader's home in the old world i mean it's just a beautiful estate it's got the columns out front the arches intricate detail on the facade uh it looks to be made of you know stone and concrete but uh yeah we will move on to omaha nebraska here's another head scratcher okay who would have thunk omaha nebraska 
1898 would host a world fair with, and it was the trans Mississippi exposition. And it ran from June until November. And this one is interesting because it really, this is where the nation starts turning to, to more of an isolationist policy. And that's kind of what this fair, um, its theme was, was isolationism. So this is, this is another interesting one because you're starting to hear that. Uh, now you're hearing first, you're hearing the reset. Now you're hearing the isolation. What's next? Um, at this fair, there was about 120 buildings that were across 180 acres. So it was a little bit smaller um, than Nashville, but it had more buildings. Now it also drew more attendance as they got uh, 2.6 million people to attend. And the, for the first time since the Chicago Fair in 1893, they made about a million nine in profit. So it, it was interesting to see that Nashville lost money, Philadelphia lost money, New York lost money, but Omaha, Nebraska made money. So we look at the buildings, okay? And here, here's a quote that I pulled from a book uh, from 1899. It was a construction book. Um, and what it says is some people say, it is talking to the buildings, they were all built of a mix of horsehair and plaster called staff. While that's true of the 11 largest buildings surrounding the lagoon in the Grand Court and a few others, it's untrue of the remaining of the construction there. Even the Grand Court buildings had massive wood frames within and millions of board feet of slats for the staff to be spread across. They were built that way to make them affordable and removable. They weren't made to be permanent. So they're telling you again that that they built all of these in a short time frame, just using wood, plaster, horsehair. All right. It it just so look at this this main court here. I mean, you're looking at a bird's eye view of the grand court, and it is beautiful. I mean, look at the size of this complex. Look at the massive buildings we have here. This kind of resembles the Capitol building. I mean, we have some other bigger buildings over here i mean these are the uh you have the united states government building uh there's a couple different uh large structures here right there's 14 around the grand court that's the same number as they had in chicago um and and look at the scale of these I mean, you have the agri- you got liberal arts hall, which is huge. The agricultural hall that you got the mines hall, um, and then manufacturers always and machinery. I mean, these are the giants of the age that they want us to represent: agriculture, liberal arts, mining, manufacturing, machinery, and electricity. Those are what they're pushing at these fairs. All the while. They're housing them in structures that resemble or could be from 
the old world that will meet their demise as this these new agenda is pushed forward okay so this is an artist rendering of the same thing i mean you just look at the scale of this and it's omaha nebraska right so what you're seeing is what you would expect are the square plots right as as you would fly over nebraska right you would see farmland it's all patched out in a grid grid pattern and that's what you have here but in the middle of the grid pattern is dropped this elaborate roman grecian gothic moorish city that's supposedly temporary okay now the the grand court was known as the new white city in honor and reference to chicago okay and they did the same thing they painted all the buildings white and they wanted to push this fair hard um Yeah, they, they said that um, almost all the construction was simply smashed up or hauled away or used as fill. Out of almost 100 buildings and dozens of other features, none of it was left in place. So after this fair, all of this, I mean, look at this grand court, all destroyed, all scrapped, okay? And so we look at the main entrance, you have the, the basin, right? This beautiful water basin that, you know, we're in the middle of Omaha, Nebraska. So that's obviously had to be, you know, dredged in some way to get there. But then you look at the, the, the architecture again, look at the bridges, just the, the landscaping alone of this area, the pavilions. I mean, that's, that's taking time to build it takes money to build people equipment and so you have these pavilions with these elaborate domes right that flank the entrance to this and um i see i liked where's that picture yeah you can see here i mean this is kind of the the general feature that we've seen over and over again these beautiful old white buildings around a basin and they have electricity in a time where electricity was a leisure item, right? It wasn't something every household necessarily had. Um, most did, but it's, it's just amazing that they were able to do this in such a short time frame. And with such precision, if their narrative is correct. So we look at the dome on the top of the main entrance, and that's the liberty and lightning of the world. And here we go. We're bringing the whole world in together. We're enlightening everyone. Liberty, Lady Liberty is going to enlighten everyone. Little do they know she's going to be a terrorist for the next hundred years. And the torch is 178 feet off the ground. The total length of the building is 504 feet. So then we're going to move on to the, yeah, where is it? This is all the government building, right? And this is what's supposed to resemble Lady Liberty. And again, we have the arch. There's always an arch at these fairs. 
this is what I wanted to get to is the, the palace of agriculture or the agricultural building. Another mammoth. Okay. So we're looking at, it's about 400 feet by 40 by, and it's got 50 foot high ceilings. And this one's interesting because it's more of like a, a, a Renaissance feel to it, right? This is, this is a little bit different than the other structures that we've seen here. And, uh, Now, what's interesting inside is that they had all of the agricultural products, but the big thing was like the corns and the cereals and um, even like, you know, common market, you know, like garden materials, garden products would be in here. But what's interesting about the agricultural hall is the, the the emphasis on the corn in the Midwest, because that's one of the things that you see the connection is uh, I've been reading lately about Egypt. And one of the things you're seeing in some of the symbols is they had maize in Egypt way back, ancient Egypt. And the only place that it grew naturally was America. So somehow it got from America to Egypt. And uh, the, the fact that they highlight it here at this fair, I just I just found that kind of interesting. Now we move to the liberal arts building in, in, you know, similar fashion to the other buildings. It's just a beautiful whitewashed old building. Now with the fact that they whitewashed them, why would they need to whitewash them if they were new? You wouldn't have to, you wouldn't have to paint them, but they had weathering. The narrative is going to be that they were, you know, the stucco. But stucco tends to be white, but you're going to paint over it anyway. But anyway, with this, I digress. This was, again, more of the French Renaissance type of building. You know, they had they have all of these columns around the perimeter. It's very uniform in structure and stature. Um, it It's just one of those buildings that if you look at it, It's just, it's mind-blowing for Omaha, Nebraska in, in the eighteen late 1800s, early 1900s. I mean, and then we go to the Mines building, right? This is like a, a palace. This isn't, this isn't an exhibition building. This is, this is more of like a palace with a lagoon outside. You see these giant rotunda to enter it with the, the columns. And... So you look at the, this is more of the Greek style, they say. And honestly, I don't see a whole lot of difference between the Renaissance, the Greek, the Roman. They all kind of blend together. And one of the things that I heard in a documentary recently is, you know, they love to say it's Greek and Roman, but it seems like Rome was all over the world. That Roman architecture was all over the world. And it may not be Roman. Rome may have claimed it, but it may not be originally Roman. So then we look at the manufacturer's building. This is another huge building. It's about 300 feet by 125 feet with 40 foot high roofs. Um, again, they say it's the Greek style, but again, you're seeing the columns, you see the arches, the, the and, and of course it has the domes. And some of these domes are like 150 feet in circumference. 
um, and they're 75 feet high. So these are some massive domes. And I would love to see what it looks like when you walk into these places. Um, but we'll never know because they've been destroyed. Now, the last one I want to show you in Omaha is the electricity and machinery building. Now, again, this is a huge building, 300 by 150 with 30 foot high, you know, roofs. This was, you know, again, they say it's Renaissance, but if you look at the, the structure, the architecture involved, it all flows together. It's all very classy. I mean, you, you look at the, the uh, even the landscaping, the stairs, this doesn't look like just a building it looks like a a palatial estate and that's what we get over and over at these fairs is these massive complexes it almost looks like at one time it was a capital or a city of uh, of a place and all of a sudden it was destroyed they had their fair they had their exhibition their exposition and they were eliminated You look at the horticultural, again, we see, this is what I keep talking about with these little, little domes, right? These are almost like little receptors, resonators, and the columns that all flows together in these buildings. So I I recommend you go check it out. Now, the thing that I found interesting is when you start going to the newspaper from 1898, what do we see? we see a bunch of white men in black suits and a couple of them have their hand in their pocket. The old hidden hand. If that's any clue to anyone, look into that. Look into the hidden hand and the meaning behind that and who might be running these fairs. That's all I'm going to give you on that. And So we look at the fine arts building here, another another beautiful, beautiful building and permanent because it was housing the arts. And again, much like the other fairs, as we said, Omaha met its demise as it was destroyed piece by piece. Now, one of my favorite fairs other than the Chicago is the Buffalo Pan American Exposition of 1901. I mean, look at this beauty. Uh, You look at this and this is like an ancient city. There's, again, the narrative of this was it was built in a couple years. Now they took a different approach here. The main focus of this fair was the electrical tower, which is this large tower here in the middle. And instead of going with the white theme, they went with the rainbow theme. Okay, it was known as the rainbow city and they used like bold colors. You'll see a lot of color in this as opposed to the white. So it was a little change in direction. Um, But they again, they say that this all of this. Okay, all of it was constructed in one and a half to two and a half years. We couldn't do that today, folks. Nope, not possible. 51 buildings, over 350 acres. 
for something that lasted six months. So, you know, I don't know. They had 8 million visitors at this fair, so it drew a lot of attention. And, and there's a lot of interesting things that took place at this fair. But much like previous fairs, this fair lost about $3 million. This was a big loser, okay? And this is going to be a series that we see in the next two. Big money losses. I mean... Uh, what is this quote I found here? So we have a quote here that says, commercial well-being and good understanding among American republics. I mean, guys, look at this. Look at the landscaping of the waterways, how the buildings, it all flows together. I mean, it, it almost looks like a paradise. It, it's it's a fascinating, fascinating uh spectacle to see i can only imagine what buffalo looked like in 1901 and then to top it all off now you look at it and what you have is over on the left hand side is the temple of music now the temple of music is where in at the end of the fair president william mckinley was assassinated on the steps of the temple of music while right shortly after giving an address so if any of you recall the Chicago Expo, how did that end? The mayor was murdered or assassinated. It seems like it's almost like a sacrifice at the end of these to close it out, to finish it off once and for all. And McKinley was a huge supporter of the World's Fair. See, he went to multiple um, and really enjoyed them, uh, really supported them. And in the end, was assassinated. Now, let me see if we, do we do it now? No. One, one of the things, ah, we'll, go, we'll go into that later about the assassination. But uh, actually, no, let's do it now. So one of the interesting things was that he was assassinated by an anarchist named Leon. I cannot pronounce it. It's Zologs, something like that, where he shot him point blank range. Um, and uh, he was shot on September 6th, 1901. And he died, the president died uh, eight days later, September 14th. Now, what's interesting about this is that uh, the assassin was tried immediately. The trial was very short. Didn't get, he didn't call any witnesses, any defense. And he was found guilty. He was um, hanged and buried right away. All within, it was like, boom, boom, boom. No real investigation. I mean, days after the assassination, there was a trial. Days. So there's something fishy behind the assassination of President McKinley. And I don't know what it is. I haven't looked that deep into it yet. But eventually we will look into it a little bit more. And here we're seeing, again, the Temple of Music. And you're seeing the um, uh, electricity building, which is just, you know, I mean, look at all the lights, guys. This is This is a spectacle to see. And again, this is Buffalo, New York, 1901. 
We're not talking about Rome in 2010. This is Buffalo, New York in 1901. I just, I still can't emphasize that enough. And so what we're seeing here is, is a, a drawing of, of uh president being assassinated. Um, now, an interesting photo here of what they kind of portray as the construction, but some may say it's also the demolition of the fair. Um, but this is the best you're going to get as far as a construction photo, which is a building that's already built. You get some scaffolding around the outside and no real building materials laying around. I mean, what are they building with? <laughs> There's nothing there to build with. It's just scaffolding. So uh, here's a few more shots of, of some of these great buildings. You know, the temple, look at the intricate design up here on the temple and, and the uh, electricity building has the same thing. And you're going to look and, and in the middle of the court, there's the triumphal bridge, which these four pillars are just magnificent with in, uh, statues on top, statues in, in the arches and the base. I mean, these are just some ornate um, exhibits. Okay, so let's see if we get to this. Yeah, I mean, look at this, guys. This is just these the triumphal bridge and, and this is supposedly temporary they just built it for the fair and then destroyed it now the only building to survive from this fair was the new york state building the only building all the rest of them were destroyed now even the electricity building was destroyed but prior to being destroyed the public and and you're going to see you see this more and more. There was a public pushback to save these buildings. In some instances, they were successful. In other instances, no luck. And the buildings went on to be destroyed anyway. And that's what happened with the electrical tower. Um, they bought it for like 30000 but or they tried to buy it for 30000 but they couldn't raise the money in time. So you're telling me there wasn't some rich guy that couldn't afford that? So it, it's, it's pretty ridiculous. The, these fairs were intentionally destroyed and and here's kind of a timeline of what happened um once they decided uh this is what happens during the demolition 19 or november 2nd 1901 almost 125,000 people witnessed the closing of the expo so the last day at the closing ceremonies was about 125k november 9th the exposition closes with a three million dollar deficit Okay, so we have this massive deficit. Now we're going to destroy everything. Representatives from the Chicago House Wrecking Company, who are, you'll see that name multiple times. They were used in, in Chicago, Illinois. Um, they arrive in Buffalo to negotiate a contract to demolish the exposition. By December of 1901, they bid 132000 um, And they say they can anticipate getting it done in about 150 days. By fe end of February, they finalized the purchase of the buildings for eighty thousand dollars, eighty grand for the entire fairgrounds. And by March, they begin the demolition of the fair. Now, if that isn't a crime, guys, I don't know what is. That's something that really 
irks me because I just, it's, oh, it's so disgusting. Now we move on to St. Louis. We have St. Louis and San Francisco to cover and we are done. St. Louis is the largest fair by far. Over 1,270 acres were used for this fair, which was housed in 1904 in St. Louis, Missouri. It went from April that year to December, and it was called the Louisiana Purchase Exposition. And what do you think it was for? To mark the 800th centennial, the centennial celebration of the Louisiana Purchase. Now, this fair... There are reports that this fair lost up to $8.5 million at the time, which is we're talking hundreds of millions of dollars in today's money. $8.5 million supposedly lost. Now, they got 19 million, 19 and a half million people to attend the fair. So they had people there. Um, but let's take a look at it. So you had 1,200 acres nearly 1,500 buildings, okay? You had 250 exhibit buildings, um, 34 nation buildings, 45 state buildings, 92 Philippine buildings, 74 other buildings, and 448 concession buildings. So as you can see, a lot of them are auxiliary buildings, right? But Look here at the picture. We have some massive main buildings, right? You have the Palace of Agriculture. You have the fountain, you know, the fountains, which are mind-boggling back over here. Um, <clears throat> it's just, you know, you can't, and again, so they, they claim here that the huge palaces, buildings, and hundreds of statues and monuments were constructed not to last and were created from a temporary material called staff, a mixture of lime, plaster, and cement containing glycerin and dextrose. Workers added shredded manila hemp fiber to form a more manageable and strong plaster of Paris. Staff looked like marble and could easily be cast and sculpted and eventually destroyed. Throughout the months of the fair, the buildings worn down due to weather. Only one of the grand palaces, the Palace of the Fine Arts, constructed mostly out of marble, would not end up as rubble. The Palace of Fine Arts was the exhibition's only permanent building. And after the fair became the St. Louis Art Museum, it was constructed of limestone and brick. And a 450 foot facade, which it, I mean, it just, it's very interesting that the only building that would, they would build one permanent building. The rest of them were all temporary and they built it out of marble. I mean, that's just, that must've been such a beautiful sight to see. Look at this. So this is St. Louis, Missouri in 1904. I mean, guys, look at this. Look at the people, the size of the people. They're little specks compared to these massive structures. Look at this guy. He's barely up to the base of the column of the building. So you look at 
again, they have a grand basin and you're always going to see some sort of obelisk or statue that draws in the attention. Look at the elaborate bridges that were built. Again, the buildings, this one has more of going back to the Chicago style, the white, the great white city feel to it. Are these construction photos or demolition photos? We don't know. Same here, construction or demolition. This is where they're building the walkways for the fair. Okay, just putting them right over the dirt. Massive amounts of planks. That makes sense. And we've seen that in other fairs. Now look at the view of the Grand Basin here. I mean, this is just a million dollar view if you ever ask me. And then you add in the Palace of the Fine Arts, which is the permanent structure made of marble. And you look at this building and it's it's beautiful. Just absolutely beautiful. All right. So let's go on. Look at the palace electricity. Again, using massive amounts of lights. Now, this is where we're, this is the picture I wanted to show you. Because if we look here, right, we see these elaborate buildings, some pretty intricate landscaping with the, what appears to be concrete stairs. And then you get to the bottom and it's all crushed stone and dirt, rubble. They're not going to clean this up. They're not going to level that. Not afraid of any of these women or men or children taking a fall on that. So I found that one to be uh, rather unusual. That's a picture that sat with me and I, I just, I couldn't get over that. It drew my attention right away. In the background, you have all this elaborate construction, and then you have rubble up front. And again, one of the things we see over and over again, we saw it in Chicago, we saw it in Nashville, and we're seeing, was it Nashville or Buffalo? Nashville. And then you're seeing it again here, is these elaborate and massive Illinois state buildings. I mean, look at this. There's no way that's temporary. No way. I mean, look at that. This is just not, I'm not buying it. Not buying it. We look at the inside of the palace of the machinery. I mean, you have these 30 to 40 foot high ceilings all over. And one of the things that's real interesting, if you look at this picture, they have plastered these to the wall with the date 1903 all over this building to lay claim that this was built in 1903. Now, was it actually built in 1903? That is the question. But when it, there, I mean, you would expect one of these, right? I, I would expect, yeah, one maybe right here, but then there's two, three, four, five, six. I mean, they're all over. How many times do you have to tell what year the building was built. Here's the inside of the Palace of Machinery. You see these massive engines at work. 
We had the Palace of Transportation, which is another giant of a building that just, uh, you know, you look at it and it's it's a thing of beauty. Inside the Palace of Transportation, again, we're going to see, and this is why I kind of brought this in, you'll start seeing some of the interior architecture, the wood framing. Yes, some of these buildings were temporary. Yeah, I, I don't doubt that some of them were built. But you can't tell me that for this fair, they built 1,500 buildings in two to three years. Not believing it. Not buying it. Can't sell me on that one. And look at these buildings. I mean, the Palace of Horticulture, it's just a massive, massive structure. And of course, I found this funny that they had to throw a uh, a good old dinosaur in there. Give you a fake dinosaur skeleton. That's always uh, pushing the agenda a little bit. They put little clues in there, guys, here and there. And you have to be awake and see them. And that's one of them. Okay. Next, you would expect to see like a like a spaceship or something. Now, uh, one of the things about this is that the land that the World Fair was on in St. Louis has been now taken over by Washington University. And if you look at the administration building, it looks like a castle, which is very interesting. Very, very interesting. And I love looking at the women in the old dress and the men in the old suits and hats. It's just... Brings back an old time. But you look at this, this castle, it's a permanent structure. Okay, it was built of brick. Then we get into Festival Hall. And this is another, I mean, look at the elaborate landscaping here, guys. And this is where we showed you that picture before. Right around here somewhere is where all that rubble was. So I really question what was going on here. You have this extravagant landscaping you have it all lit up it's beautiful and then what happens at the end we start destroying it because you couldn't find another use for that thing there's no way you could use that now is the problem that they didn't know how to maintain it that they couldn't repair these old buildings that they didn't have the capability to so they were were a burden to them because it was Freemasonry. They were found dead. I don't know. I can't say yes or no, but what I can say is there's something fishy about all this. Yeah. And here, remember we showed that picture before them building up the planks. Well, here's that plank that they would walk on. But I mean, look at the building right there. Beautiful extravagant two years to build that and 1499 others in addition to repurposing the ferris wheel the member 2600 passenger ferris wheel from the chicago world fair supposedly they broke it down shipped it down to st louis and they reused it in 1904 Which is interesting, very interesting, that they would reuse the Ferris wheel at the other fair. Now, what's what's uh, quite unique about this organ is that the company that built it went bankrupt after building this. 
And uh, so it's kind of a one and done for them. They built this for the fair and then they went bankrupt because of it. But it is a beautiful organ. I would love to hear what that thing cranks out. Now, we are in St. Louis. This is the first American fair to really push the infantoriums, the baby incubators, okay? And so what it was, was that supposedly there was a rash of premature babies being born. And a French gentleman came up with a device that would act in a very similar manner to the way you would do in a chicken incubator uh, to give the baby heat and oxygen. And supposedly it saved many babies' lives. Um, Now, the interesting thing is, is that in this article that I found, it said an incubator on display at the World's Fair in London in 1897 sparked rumors that it had become possible to grow babies like orchids in a hothouse. Were they growing babies and then displaying them and distributing them at the fairs? And what you'll see later at Coney Island and, and Martin Cooney, um, a German gentleman who, who basically started touring around the world with these incubator babies. Um, it's a, it's a real, real dark story. I mean, it just, it just doesn't sit right with me, but they, yeah, they had these things and he would take the babies and travel them around in these incubators and people would come look at them and, and, and observe them. And, uh, almost like a freak show. Uh, and what's, kind of depressing is that the, the you know the babies weren't getting the motherly attention they were just sitting in this glass case i mean think about the psychological impact on those children uh it, it was not going to be good but thankfully there was a fire at one of the establishments none of the children were harmed and they decided against continuing the tour of these incubator babies around the world so Last but not least, and and uh, when we think about the fairs and we think about American history, one of the very mysterious places in our realm is California. There's some ma- old maps that show California as an island. There's, uh, you know, rumors that it was uh, run by Queen Khalifa and and amazonian women and and things like that there's all sorts of legends and myths around it but the one thing that we find is that man there was a lot of architecture in a place where there really shouldn't have been so we think back to san francisco and in california and the narrative that we're told was that it didn't really take take form until late 1840s early 1850s during the gold rush now you have this so-called gold rush where you know supposedly these guys are going into mines and and mining out the riches of their life 
what if some of these miners were just going to these old buildings and stripping them of the gold coverings? We've seen rumors of that in other sites. You know, the gold, they were gold top domes and the gold was stripped off. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just thinking out loud here, but that's always something that's been interesting with me about the whole gold rush that I just don't, the narrative doesn't seem to match. Anyway, San Francisco, the Panama Pacific International Exhibition. Like I said before, there was also a San Diego exhibition going on in 1915 as well. But this one was the inauguration of the Panama Canal. This was a celebration of the Panama Canal, one of the major feats, engineering feats, supposedly, of the early 1900s. So they celebrated with the San Francisco Fair, which was about 636 uh, acres, had about 250 buildings, and got about 18.8 million people to attend. And because of those numbers, this fair supposedly made a $2.5 million profit. Now, what's interesting about this, look at the year, 1915. Okay, now remember back to Chicago. Chicago's 1893. But 20 years prior to Chicago was the Great Fire of Chicago, where the entire city was basically destroyed. Much of the city was destroyed. 1906. We had the great earthquake, the great fire in San Francisco. And nine years later, look, we have all these row houses and this beautiful fair. Of course, Alcatraz had to throw a bone to that. But yeah, I mean, I mean, think about that. Nine years after a devastating earthquake, we're hosting a fair in San Francisco to honor the Panama Canal. Very interesting story, to say the least. So it was about $50 million in construction, another $50 million more in objects and intrinsic value at the fair. So it was a big, big fair. There was 21 countries there. Um, all of the 48 states at the time were there. 50 uh, California counties were represented. Um, you know, they had they had 65 acres of concessions. I mean, it was just a massive, massive fair. The opening day, they had a quarter of a million people show up. So we're looking at a, a large fair. You Okay. So now, the total cost of construction was about $15 million dollars. For the canal, right? And uh, it, oh no, no, this is different. Never mind. The the fair itself, yeah, and it consumed over a hundred million board feet of lumber. That's a massive amount of lumber. Okay. So there, they had a replica canal there that went for five acres. And you could ride on a, you know, a moving platform that would, you know, give you information over like a little speaker. At this fair, the first transcontinental telephone call was made by Alexander Graham Bell. So there's another 
little operation they're pushing forward here in the telephone and inter or transcontinental communication. Okay, opening the world. We were looking at isolationism just a couple fairs ago. Now we're looking at internationalism. And uh, so let's go through some of these. Now, I, I like this this little poster here of the fair. It was pretty interesting because, uh, you know, you have the woman in kind of a Roman Greek garb. She has the ring on her arm. There's the broken pillars, right? But then there's also the pillars that are still standing and she's overlooking the fair. It's almost like she's the impending doom destruction coming to this fair and then you look at the pictures uh over here these people they're just kind of standing around and staring like they're almost in a trance trying to figure out what's going on here so this is just a uh an overall map of the of the fairgrounds okay you'll see the different areas now this is one the tower of jewels okay so the tower uh, of jewels was a uh, how big was it? it was 400 and like 35 450 somewhere around there feet tall and it was illuminated okay um and it was it was one of those buildings that it was kind of the the gem of the fair to them that it actually had stones in it jewels in it um okay so let's go and now let's look again here here we go we go back to looking like the other fairs we have the basin with the fountains we have the glory you know the the buildings all around and the buildings look the same here as they did in chicago as they did in uh buffalo right as they did in nashville these buildings all have the same feel to them. And we get into the arch. The arch is an interesting one because that's another thing that we keep seeing over and over again. Um, we're looking at the machinery palace over here on the left. It was the largest wooden and steel building in the world at the time. Okay. And the entire personnel of the U.S. Army and Navy could have fit inside. Um, and supposedly there was an indoor flight that took place inside of this. He flew through the building. A gentleman by the name of Lincoln Beachley supposedly flew a, paint, a plane through the building. Okay, because it was a thousand feet by 400 feet, um, like 135 feet high. Uh, and it had like two miles worth of exhibits in it. I mean, we're just talking about a massive, massive structure. So the Palace of Horticulture, it was the most, it was obviously the largest of the garden structures. Um, they call it Byzantine. You know, I give it the more Moorish uh, feel to it. And it suggested that it was uh, a mosque from Constantinople. Let's see. So the Tower of Jewels again. That's that's one of those that, yeah, it's just a beautiful. I mean, look at this. 
again, what are we talking? Nine years prior, right? This was all demolished. But then you have, I mean, look at this. They just put the fair in there around the existing. This obviously is is just a rendering where they took the fair and put it in, you know, a, a photo from the current time. But uh, yeah, it, it, the San Francisco, you just look at it and, and it just doesn't, it doesn't seem to add up as to the only permanent structure was the Palace of the Fine Arts, as well as the Billy Graham Civic Auditorium. But the uh, the Palace of Fine Arts, it's it's still exists today. It's beautiful, but it was supposedly built as a temporary structure that they made permanent. Go figure that one, okay? And you're telling me all these buildings right here are temporary. Not buying it. The horticultural building, Festival Hall. Look at the intricate design there. I mean, that just looks like it's just a, a frequency resonator right there. And then you keep going. The Court of Abundance. I mean, look at this tower. This looks like something out of like a a Lord of the Rings type sci-fi fantasy movie with these ornate stair structures and this giant tower. It just, uh, it's beautiful. And of course, the Liberty Bell made its rounds and and was at most of these fairs. Um, It made some some sort of uh, presence. Now, the other interesting one is the Bill Graham Civic Auditorium. And this building supposedly was initially not permanent looks permanent to me and you know it's one of those where you have to really question it because what changed you know it's stone it was built stone all along there was no wood in staff in this building and then we get the fires the fires that destroy everything okay and you notice over and over again with these fairs, okay? There's some things that don't add up. The construction time doesn't add up. Where they get all these materials, how they're transported to the site does not add up. The time frame does not add up. The fires and destruction doesn't add up. Multiple fares losing money, yet they keep rolling it out there. And there was actually even a fare in 2020. I think it was Dubai or Abu Dhabi, somewhere in the Middle East, supposedly had the World Fair in 2020. But guys, this is what just doesn't make sense. We see these similar buildings. And now it's not just limited to the world's fairs. You can go around the world. Go look at Capitol buildings. Look at all 50 Capitol buildings. I got a YouTube video out there. Go look at all 50 Capitol buildings. They look an awful lot like the construction at some of these fairs. Go look at Capitol buildings around the world. Go look at some of the international fairs. 
Even the international fairs had similar issues. I know one in Germany where the town fought to save the building. And one of the engineers was arguing that it needs to be taken down. Town fought to save it. They were thinking about saving it. Oh, well, the guy just went in and burnt it. Arson ruined the whole thing, brought it down. Well, now nobody gets it. So that's kind of the thinking that you have to use with these people is they don't care. There's an agenda. There's a mission. There's a narrative they have to push. And they will do whatever it takes to do it. And in all reality, I think, and and Michelle Gibson said this as well, that she thinks, you know, a lot of people think the World Fairs are basically the ushering in of the industrial age and the demolition of the previous old world civilization. You know, that mud flood, pre-mud flood civilization. And I agree. I think that, you know, you look at the late 18th century into the early 19th century, you look around 1812 to 1815, then you look, there's just a lot going on. There's wars, massive earthquakes, um, all sorts of events. You know, you had a year without a summer in the 1800s. You had uh, Mount, the Mount Tambora eruption. And guys, these are all back to back to back, right? Like you had, uh, what was it? You had the New Madrid earthquake in like, I think it's, it was, I want to say 1813. Don't quote me on that, but it's early 1800s. Then right after that, you had Mount Tambora eruption, the volcano eruption. Yeah. And and so it's, let's see, how did that work? It was Mount Tempor, and then, let's see, where was it? Must have been over here. Yeah, anyway. And then, uh, oh, and then the year without the summer. So you had Mount Tam- New Madrid was 1812. Mount Tambor erupted 1815. Year without a summer was 1816. Then you get into 1871 and the Chicago fires, right? Or any... Look across the 1800s, massive amounts of city fires, including Sherman's March, where he just went down and he was systematically destroying cities in the South, destroying. Was it just to cover up the old infrastructure, the old building, destroy the old world? And that's what it's looking like, guys. These world fairs. A lot of the world wars and a lot of wars in general. A lot of operations that our government takes part in. We're slowly and systematically destroying the old world and any proof of it. So that they could tell their narrative and their story. So guys, I highly recommend going and looking into some of these world fairs. I know there's some great documentaries out there, Stolen History on YouTube, uh, on BitChute also. Um, Stolen History, the third episode of their um, movie, uh, of their series is all about the world fairs. And it's a great documentary. He does, they do great work over there. Michelle Gibson's another one. 
my the guy that I will forever be in debt to for getting me into this and exposing me to this is Howdy McCoskey. Uh, go read his book, Exposing the Expositions. Uh, there's a lot of people. John John Levi does great work on on the World's Fair. So there's plenty of of material out there, guys. You just have to go look for it. And so I hope you enjoyed this. This was uh, a long time in the making. I've been looking at this stuff for months now. And uh, this is just the tip of it, guys. This is just a small thing. And one of the things I really love about this is going back to the source materials, going back to the newspapers from the time that this stuff was taking place, go back to the books that were written at the time, not the books that were written in 1990 about the 1800s. Go back to the 1880s actual you know manuals the catalogs the guides to these fairs and you will start seeing discrepancies little slip-ups in their narrative okay and i i actually i'm going to be doing a real quick short podcast on an article that i found the other day um from 1858 and it's talking about uh, what was here in America and some of the ancient architecture that's here. Ancient architecture. I thought 1492. Yeah, there was nothing really before that. No. Guys, American history is all bullshit. A lot of it. Okay, you're, you're going to tell me that everywhere else in the world there were people, but this quote-unquote new world was just a bunch of savages running around in deer hides and you know hunting buffalo come on it's the most ridiculous idea ever and now is our chance to uncover what actually was here who was here and how did they get here why'd they leave what was done to them and i think we know that answer systematic elimination much like the fairs okay they did the same thing to people so guys i uh if if you want more on on chicago like i said i i have a uh, video podcast on spotify and i will be putting this video podcast uh, podcast on spotify also um but i will also have the videos up on uh, youtube the chicago one got taken down for some copyright crap um and then uh, I have some other videos out there on my YouTube with, with like U.S. Capitals, uh, some Star Forts, Crystal Palaces, things like that, if you want to go check those out. But with that said, I thank you for sticking with me through this. This is a, a very interesting topic. And uh, if you feel free to share any information you may have on this stuff, too. Because I have a feeling we will be coming back to the World's Fairs. I may do um, something on the European World Fairs uh, similar to this. Um, but I also have a bunch of other stuff I'd really like to get into right now. And uh, so we shall see. But guys, thank you very much. Everyone, stay strong and question everything. <laughs>